Well, hello and welcome to episode 135 of the 1099 for the week of February 26, 2018. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is the co-founder and game designer for Cellador Games, one of the minds behind the wildly popular Rogue Legacy and now Full Metal Furies, which is one of my favorite games of the year so far, and a proud Canadian, Teddy Lee. Teddy, thanks so much for doing this. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me over. Yeah, for a second time, for people yeah. who don't know, uh, I've talked about this on Twitter a little bit. The first time we recorded, my entire PC decided to die mid-conversation where like I couldn't hear you suddenly and my programs just started to fade away. It was one of the craziest things to watch I've ever seen. Uh, for a while, yeah. I was like, maybe you somehow had this crazy program that hacked in my PC. And yeah, it was the best the interview ever. Just computer. <laughs> you somehow just, you know, with your game designer power, you got into my PC and you're like, I don't like this interview, so I'm just going to crash your stuff. Yeah, don't um, tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> turns out it was just a hard drive issue. So I know I said this last time, and I'm going to say it again anyway. Um, congratulations on releasing the new game. I Thank you. Even just like small projects, like a podcast, it's like there's planning that goes into it. You, you're thinking of questions, you're setting it up, you're editing it, and by the time it's out, you're like, oh, I'm really happy with that. But for something like like Full Metal Fury, it's it's been a long process, and it's it's almost been five years since Rogue Legacies came out. So I bet there's this weird mix of relief and pride and terror when you get one of these things actually out the door, especially with this being your first online project. Because right now there's still a lot of tweaking that happens with the game updates. There's it's video games more than ever. As soon as it's released, you can't just kick your feet up. You have to keep updating it as it goes out. But can you? Just even right now, let yourself enjoy the culmination of all this. Do you do you have any sort of sigh of relief after something releases, or is it even just as just as much work right now? Well, for this game in particular, because it was like our first attempt at networking, and we had it at a point where we were really happy with it. Like it was, it worked. There there seemed to be no bugs. There 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 were some bugs, but it was like really small. But then when you release it to the public, like everything just kind of breaks. I don't know of any game that comes out that has online that works on day one, <laughs> right? So yeah, yeah, it was actually super stressful. We were just, I think we worked like nonstop for another three weeks on top of like all of the crunch you do just before launch. And that was just to get it like, it's very stable now, but now people are asking for a lobby system. And so in hindsight, we should have had that. So now we're implementing that. So work just keeps on going and going. Yeah, I would assume you look at someone like yay who has this massive studio, all these different developers and all these different QA testers that are pounding away at their online games before they come out. And there's still a bunch of things that don't work. So for you guys being a smaller studio, has that been one of the biggest surprises with an online game like this, where there's just certain features that maybe never came up in development or certain aspects of the network where you're just like, we could have never caught that until this thing actually went live? Yo, so many. So like, well, one of them was... um, uh. So we couldn't, we actually tried hiring network programmers and it just didn't pan out. So we actually went to Blitworks because they're, they're a porting house and they mm -hmm. also specialize in networking. And one of the big things, like we were like, when we were designing the game, we were, we were building out because we can't like wait, right? Yeah. Uh, we put in, uh, they had to rewrite our physics engine, like portions of it to send smaller packets. Really? Yeah, so they're like, Man. oh yeah, like so, so the characters get knocked back and stuff, but it'll, it's too much information, so we need to do like this kind of a different version, which is more predictive. And then I had to spend like five days just hitting enemies, going, oh, is this guy, <laughs> you know, moving in the right direction? Oh, so on. It's it's horrible. It's so horrible. That's so 
strange. I I wouldn't have even thought of something like oh, that. Oh, we didn't I, think of that either. There's so many things we thought. Like we thought we had all our bases covered, but honestly, networking is is massive. It's it's way larger than I think anybody expected. Was that something that extended development? Was that one of those surprises where when you start actually getting more into the networking and you maybe in the back of your mind thought like, oh, we'll be able to tackle this like we've tackled everything else. But once you actually uncovered it, you realized, oh, shit, I need to hit enemies for four days straight to make sure everything is good. Yeah, um, it, it. I think in total it added about a year to development. Oh, my God. Yeah, so it, it, it slowed things down significantly. But I mean, it, it was also hard because we can't, like we're not doing the networking. We it's it's a talent that's like above us. So but we so we just started like we made the game and it was like ninety nine percent done, right? Like we had some template bosses in, right? And then we gave mm. it over. And then they're like, Okay, it'll take us X months and then it was like, Oh, it needs more time, more time, more time because especially for a brawler, the networking is really complicated. Right? Like yeah. especially like our AI too, they do a lot of things and that all has to sync up and so like development went beyond what we finished so then we just kept polishing the product it's it's weird you you just called the game a brawler which i think is probably the best way to describe it but there's also just so much more to it you do have a lot of um progression elements that you you would see in something like rogue legacy which is what you did before and the the pace the difficulty the real strong differentiation from character to character. I, could you kind of maybe in your own words describe what Full Metal Furies is? Because it's not to just say like, oh, it's it's a co-op brawler. I feel like that's selling it short, which is not what you want to do, of course. What is it in your eyes? What do you think this thing is kind of basically from conception to where it is now? What is this game? I think that was one of our biggest problems is, is trying to explain the game. But uh, we we've went with uh, an action RPG, I guess, but it, it, it it's an action RPG in the sense like we have a story. There's like side objectives. There's like a overarching uh, narrative, and you know they've got your skill trees and your equipment and everything. I mean, we originally wanted to make a brawler. That was our original intent because I guess, uh, because we grew up on them, and yeah. they kind of like you know when you play like X Men in the arcade. Mm. I never felt like it got better than that. <laughs> it's it, it was peaked, all just kind of it? Yeah. yeah, like it, it kept this. You know, you got kept the same like three or four hit combos, and maybe they added like jump kicks and everything, but it never really like got more complex or more like deep. So we were just like, okay, well, what can we do? Can we modernize it? Can we implement new features? And then we just kept going with that because like that's what we do, right? We we try to take something and we try to revitalize it. And um, I guess if we were to explain it now, like it's, I think it's pretty far from a brawler, even though we call it a brawler internally. But if we were to call it, I think you'd call it like a, an action RPG with puzzles. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to say, but the puzzles are, are a big portion. That was something we actually wanted since the beginning. And we kept it kind of like a secret during marketing. I'm not sure if you've gotten to them or... Yes, I have. I, there's like a lot of... This game is deeper than maybe you'd assume from seeing a trailer or like you said, from like initial marketing material where... In it, the, the secret part has to be a bizarre balance in your head where you're like this is this core design aspect of our game that we think is special because there aren't there's so much more to it than just being a brawler but you also want that to be a surprise because half the fun is you're you're being surprised constantly by this game where there are riddles and there are puzzles that really you can sink a lot of time and thought into if you want to and there's this entire different arc after you see the credits and quote unquote beat the game is that 
was there an internal discussion and maybe even argument about how much should we actually tell people and how much should we keep to ourselves? Uh, not really. We were all on board, like, at the beginning. We we wanted, like, anything we make, we wanted to make sure it had substance. And, like, this isn't a bash on, like, take, for example, a game like Zelda, right? Mm. Uh, it's a great game. Like, you know, it's got 97s and stuff. Make sure it's not a bash on Zelda. That could be the fun <laughs> right now. It could be like, this, this team hates Zelda. They think their game is so much better. <laughs> yeah, our game is way better than Zelda. No, but it's like you play those games and you always go, I wish the, the puzzles had, had a bit more, like, uh, depth to them. Yeah. They're always, they always feel a little bit to the side. Like, it's, it's definitely ex- accessible. Everything in Zelda is accessible. And we were mm. like, well, we wanted to make something that asked a lot from people. Right. So yeah. like the puzzles, they keep building on themselves, which I don't think a lot of people will be expecting when they go into this. Right. Like a couple of the and the problem, we can't explain it because a lot of the puzzles are meta in their mm-hmm. solution. And when you get to that point, um, you actually have to keep building on what you've known. So that was something we wanted to do. We wanted to make a like a action RPG where the puzzles kind of stood toe to toe with the combat system. And even with the combat system, we were trying to to bring it up to, to new levels, right? Like, with the, the the fact that it implements full range mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know how, like, most products, you're really fighting on a horizontal line, even if it's invisible. Yeah, you're almost touching like, the enemies at all times with brawlers. Yeah, and, like, if you move up or down a little, you'll suddenly start missing. So it, it's, it always ends up being on a horizontal line. Like, if you were to play, and I'm, like, double dragon, do, sorry, double dragon way back when, if you never pressed up and down, the game wouldn't really change. Yeah. Right, so we were like, we want to make it so that you're using the X Y plane. You're also using the vertical, which is really complicated to implement, and all of the enemies are going to be in themselves like a puzzle, in in the way that they interact with you instead of it becoming a button masher. I see. I love this stuff because that's what I love about this game the most, where it's everything stacks and everything. A lot of games like this where you have options, you will only quote unquote have options because you find something that you really like, you stick with it, and you never really have a reason to try anything else. And constantly in Full Metal Furies, I was playing and I was like, oh, well, the sniper makes sense for the situation. I'm only going to use the sniper and the brawler like moving forward. It's all I want to do. And then I just kept switching it because I realized like, oh, well, let me try this. And when I tried it, I learned like, oh, I actually love this for the situation way more. And the puzzles are a really smart idea too, where like you said, it's it's not holding your hand and you're learning maybe not mechanics but ways to think that stack and as you keep going of course I, the almost the first thing i did because i am just not smart enough was start googling things and being like who can help me figure out these goddamn puzzles because i'm not smart enough to figure this out and there was one early on that i found a tip on like the steam page and then from there i stopped because i was like okay now my th- i'm understanding the thinking now it makes more sense i can keep going and keep going and keep going and i would assume you almost have to do something like that when you're setting out to make a brawler i was talking on twitter earlier about how the original this is gonna be a weird tangent i promise i'm gonna bring it back around uh the original nino kuni really made me realize why i like jrpgs so much or why i used to like them and it was because it modernized it in a smart way where it felt like those old games but little did you know it's doing all of these little things to make it maybe not more complicated, but more flushed out. And I think your game does that. Do you think you can just make a straight-up brawler in 2018 and find success? Like Castle Crashers, I guess, is an example of that was a sort of brawler that came out and was successful. But over 10 years later, is that possible? Or do you need to stack these systems to keep players interested? 
Castle Crashers did something really great in that they had a really uh, smart target audience, which was families, hmm. right? So it's it doesn't like I know a lot of people who like Castle Crashers, and I know the people who made Castle Crashers, and they're great people. Uh, it didn't hold my interest, um, but that doesn't mean that a game like that isn't going to succeed anymore. In fact, I would say that um, if you make really complicated games like Steven Sausage Roll, I'm not sure if you've played it. That's a good, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I, I don't know how I forgot a name like that. But yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but game. those games have a chance of not su- succeeding just because, like, yeah, everybody says, oh, it's a Dark Souls or whatever of anything. But, like, Dark Souls is is very accessible in the sense that, like, you can grind to succeed. Yes. But when you go to a game like Steven Sausage Roll where there are very set like boundaries on what pe- certain people can do like maybe people just don't have the time or effort to think in those manners right it's going to act as a blockade yeah so i think uh, yeah our game we try to be be accessible but it's definitely um it definitely asks a lot from the player in terms of what we want from them and i think that is a turn off for a certain population well i like how it, it feels like it's asking a lot but only if you want to see really deeply into the game like i felt like if i just wanted to get to the quote-unquote end i i needed to keep growing as a player but i didn't need to master things or i didn't need to go these crazy links to get there but then there's this extra layer where you're like oh there's there's more to this if i really want it and again speaking of i'm not trying to spoil anything i promise i won't but because there are there's this extra content after the credits is there this, I don't know if risk is the right word, but a concern at all from you or any of the team where you're making all this content after the credits and you're worried that the player is going to see that, they're going to see the credits, they're going to be like, cool, I beat that, drop it, and then they'll never see all the cool stuff you do afterward. Is it harder to make content that half the people might miss? Honestly, when we did that, we were afraid, right? Like, oh, this is kind of a scary thing. But we did a, a lot of internal playtesting. Uh, or not internal, like we, we'd send it out to people to test. And they... They all went, oh, there's a secret ending, and this ending felt like half finished. So they were all willing to to progress through uh, onto the special ending. But I also felt like that might have been, um, like, we didn't cover for all our biases. You know, like, they're in a test situation, so of course they're going to do it. Uh, so I, I do, a lot more people than we expected stopped. Um, so I'd say we blindly believed that not many people would actually stop. Yeah. Whereas a lot more people did stop, so it, it did. Uh, we're we're in a false, we had, we had false expectations in that sense. Did you see something like near and how many people kept going through the A, B, C? How many endings happened? Yeah. That kind of gave you encouragement of like, oh, people will do this. When, when we, I played, we played near after the game was done, uh, and uh, when I got to the end, it was like the square thing popped up, and it was like, we uh, we are the square management team, and the game is not over. Please continue playing. And I was like, man, that is really in your face but i didn't i like i should have known then that that was like you know like foreboding they probably did way more play tests than us and they're like oh man so many people quit we're gonna be 100 percent blatant about this so we actually did patch it in we actually there's a small text that pops up which says the game isn't over but uh yeah we understand if people wanted to quit at that point did you jump into this project right after rogue legacy was this something that was on your mind where you're like all right this is our next thing we're going to go right into it or do you and your team kind of decide let's let everything breathe for a bit see what the market is like and then start making something 
but we're a really small team, right? It, it's like the the absolute core is like me and my brother, uh, but uh, and we contract out a lot. But we've grown a bit since then. But um, after we finished Rogue Legacy, uh, we actually ended up doing a lot of porting work and stuff. So that took up a, a lot of time, and it wasn't very fun. Uh, and I think we only started after I think almost, nearly a year. I believe it's hard to remember at this point, like the timeline. But uh, when we were making our next game, uh, it started with my brother saying we should make a brawler. Mm-hmm. I think I wanted to make a card game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, Man, I don't that's actually... about as different as it can get. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really matter to me. I like the enjoyment I get when I when making games. Is I like solving. I don't know, making games is like an it's like playing a real life adventure game, right? Where yeah. you've got all these problems and the solutions are always these really abstract things where you gotta work around. Especially when you're like working on a budget, then your solutions can get really crazy and that's like that's what I find the most fun. Um but yeah, my brother was like, Oh, I'd like to make a brawler. I, I think that's something that a lot of people would like and then I was like, Oh, okay, um so let's do it. And which was a, a huge mistake because uh we won Rogue Legacy. Like, we just, like, oh, let's make a game, and then everything got won at the end, and it was, it was a lot of hard work, and we're like, let's not make that mistake again. Let's <laughs> plan everything out. And then my brother was like, well, I got to start working on the base engine, uh, and then we just won it. And I was like, oh, why'd we do this again? Why'd, <laughs> well, why do we I, keep doing There has to be the side of you that's like, we, we won it the first time. Why can't we just do it again? Because it worked that, you know, it worked with Rogue Legacy. Why, like, maybe this is just our thing. Uh, if it's our thing, I hate it. <laughs> it's, it's so painful. <laughs> well, okay, then maybe you should for the th- for the next one. You're like, all right, oh, no yeah. more. We should do a lot of pre planning. So much more. I, well, we'll see. I hate pre planning. Yeah, I, it's also like the thing where it's like you pre plan something, and then like my brother. So one thing why I work really well with my brother is I'll ask for something, and he'll he'll implement it, but he'll he'll be generous in the imp- implementation because I'll almost always try to break it right and he'll be like i never made it for that you can't just do that and i'm like oh i was gonna do it and so he's he's gotten more like flexible with the things he's made so you've made him a better developer that's that's what's happening here where you're like breaking everything that he didn't think about yeah you're like a super bug tester yeah i am i'm a super bug tester. actually one of the bugs we implemented was like the reverse life bar right (laughs) because when when people died the original one is like oh the timer goes back down to zero and then I was like, well, what if I put in a negative number? And then the bar just goes off screen and breaks. And I was like, this is what I want. <laughs> and my brother has to rework it. Oh, this makes game development sound stressful, but also like a lot of fun. Where you're just like, I don't know, let's put this number in here. Whoops, that broke it, but now I want that in here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely uh, horrible. <laughs> it's, no, it's fun, it's fun. But it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's stressful. Yeah, fun and horrible. That's, from everyone I've talked to, that seems like the best way to actually describe game development. Uh, did the success of something like Rogue Legacy change your personal expectations for what your next project would be because you guys had worked on a lot of flash games before which found varied success but rogue legacy was bigger than that like it's i people reference it a lot still now it's probably the my favorite vita game and the one i've spent the most time with so once that came out and all the success started to happen i guess two questions here one was that a surprise and two did it change how you approach the next game it was definitely a surprise it was definitely way bigger than we thought it'd be uh there was a lot of pressure from both like internal and external to like make rogue legacy 2 and to 
to and this might have been a mistake it also because you know you read comments and stuff yeah. and this affects me internally people are like oh they made a they made a, a like a roguelike because it's too it's easy to make and doing stuff like curated level design is hard and that pissed me off because i've worked at a lot of companies and i've worked as a level designer at, at, at a lot of places too right and i was like oh yeah. and now i just wanted to make a curated game just so that people can piss off <laughs> <laughs> just so in spite that, of yeah. people be like all right motherfuckers yeah you said that watch this <laughs> yeah it's like a subconscious thing which affected <laughs> my decisions but yeah yeah it's uh it's hard i'll something like that has just has this overlying effect across everything when when you get when you have something that's successful i'm not saying it's like oh minecraft holy shit no one expected that but it it was the success for you where it was like you know you never really know you never really know what's gonna hit in this industry you can kind of make guesses like when suddenly Fortnite decided to be a battle royale game i'm like that's gonna do well because those games are popular and no one has a console version yet. So that's going to work. But more often than not, it's like you can keep guessing and guessing, but it's a, it's a moving target in a lot of ways. And I don't want to dig too deep into your financials because I wouldn't do that to you. But did the success of Rogue Legacy allow you guys to kind of take your time on the next thing? Of course, development takes a while. So that's a big reason why there's a gap between Rogue Legacy and Full Metal Furies. But was there also this, okay, we are now stable enough that we can, I know pre-planning isn't your favorite thing, but maybe really organize this in a way we didn't before and make a calculated next move? If we didn't make Rogue Legacy, we would never have tried to tackle networking. Yeah. We would have never even bothered to try tackling uh, like a local online game, right? Just because... It takes more people to play test, uh, so it definitely allowed us to be to to expand our our comfort zone. You need to make the game to keep the studio going, especially in an indie case where you're trying to keep it. You know, everyone wants to keep their jobs and everything like that. But Rogue Legacy, I would assume, kind of gave you a little bit more leeway. Yeah, yeah, we definitely like Full Metal Furies. Um, so one thing we really pride ourselves in is budget development, and Full Metal Furies, I think, is the first game where we went over budget. Oh wow! And you never go over budget by a small amount. I went over budget by by quite a large. I it was like planned for a two year development cycle, and I think it hit like three and a half or three point seven five. But you know we're, we're really proud of the product. Like it's it's something that I don't think we, it, especially back in our flash days, I don't think we'd ever imagine making a game of this scope. Uh, a lot of what allows you, I think, from the outside looking in to make games like this is you are very contractor and freelancer heavy. You hire people from all over the place who maybe you're not, you don't have this big studio and a lot of overhead in that way. What kind of made you decide to go that route? Was that by necessity? It was by necessity in the beginning, just because uh, we're so small and we do a lot of the work ourselves. Like even back in the flash days, the the vast majority of the games was art done by my brother, right? He did the programming and then he learned how to do picks like, very rough pixel art and then that's how we made it and um now as we grew like we we like when we were making those games we started going to like other jobs as well so like those would be done on the side and uh we really don't like the office and getting people to work from home like full-time is very tough right but contractors are actually because that's how they they live off of it so they've gotten really good at it but getting somebody who has never done it before to just jump into it isn't you know, something that's very easy to do. So we end up, we wanted to become this completely uh, office free, everybody works full time at their own homes. But honestly, it doesn't really work out. So we end up getting a lot more contractors, which in itself, 
like for Full Metal Furies, we had uh, con- contractors in in the U.S., Brazil, Vancouver, um, Indonesia. Oh my right? God, so, your budgeting and everything like that has to be insane to oh, get through. Just, just the hours that we were awake, just to match up on those time zones, right? To talk to people, yeah. it was it was brutal. Full Metal Furies really permanently screwed up my sleep schedule. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, are there kind of cool benefits that you learned through this entire development process of being able to, like you mentioned, contract someone out from anywhere else, like all over the world. Has it, was it cool to kind of see that level of collaboration between people in all these different countries other than you losing all that sleep? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's awesome. Uh, it's a little, I guess it's a little, uh, not for us, but I'm maybe for other people in the sense that like, you know, everybody's trying to get into the game industry and we're like, we're pretty disorganized and there's going to yeah. be more and more people who are like much better organized than us, which means you're never going to be competing for people in America or something. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everything is going to become worldwide, which just means competition and, and quality is going to be going up on everything on every front. No, absolutely. And like, it, it has to be cool for those people who are you know working for you where everyone always assumes like, Oh, I have to move to a specific spot. Yeah. And there's like a lot of hotbeds to actually be able to develop. So to kind of throw that away and be like, you know what, like you can work from where you actually live and do very similar work. And sure, there's always maybe a slight missing element. There's something about having an office with that level of collaboration that I would assume is useful. But I don't think you need that anymore. And I'm guessing based off of your development cycle, you kind of feel the same way. Well, we'll see. I think we've been thinking <laughs> about going to an office because the way it works, like everything, the grass is always greener, right? We work yeah. in an office. And we're like, the office is the worst place to do anything. And then we work at home and there's all these problems. We're like, okay, you know what? You need an office. And even then we're like, oh, maybe we'll switch back. <laughs> we're very flippy floppy. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you kind of have to be and be adaptable in this situation to figure out what works and what doesn't. Uh, I You mentioned before, just briefly, that there was pressure to do a Rogue Legacy 2, I'm guessing because of just the overall critical and sales success of the, for the first one. Were you ever close to doing that? Was that ever really on the table? Yeah, it, it was on the table. I mean, um, I would like to do one. Which is okay, like, so that's not off the table. Yeah, it, but only in the sense that I would like to make a sequel because like we we jump from genre to genre because that's like that's entertaining to us right let's tackle something new and rogue legacy 2 would be the first time we ever tackled a sequel right and i'm like oh what can you do with a sequel like what can you and like this is i guess going into rogue legacy 2 so like you play a lot of dark souls yes i don't know so like i love dark souls i a lot of people love dark souls but one of the problems with dark souls like at its core is that dark souls 1 is insanely difficult you go to dark souls 2 and it's also insanely difficult, but it's actually a whole lot easier because mm. everybody's already really good at the game. Who's yeah, by Dark Souls 3, I was like, man, I'm breezing through this. Yeah, I feel like I'm like, great at video games. The only hard part's the bosses. And yeah. I didn't think I even died in a stage until like the very end of the game. Um, and that's just a problem in the sense that uh, if your game, if one of its core tenants is difficulty, which I guess is Rogue Legacies, uh, you can't keep the same mechanics. You have to change it up. So then how do you change it up with, while still retaining like what made the game core to its feel, which is why I think a lot of people say Bloodborne is like the better game, mm-hmm. like in, in terms of sequels, because even though it's very Dark Souls, it's like extremely Dark Souls, the combat, the core combat system had tweaks. Yeah, the pacing is different and it's a surprise in a way where you feels like you're learning something all over again. Yeah, so you, you do keep that whole, that freshness of going, oh, this is, this is like Dark Souls, it's really hard. It's like the whole dying and repeating stuff again. So yeah, for Rogue Legacy 2, I put a lot of thought into it and like, there are a lot of things we want to do, which we think, 
would retain it while still keeping that difficulty without actually just raising the difficulties of Dark, uh, you know, Rogue Legacy 1 with a mandatory game to play first. Yeah, so that has to be the weirdest part of the balance in your head, right? Where you're like, I want this to... You don't want to completely alienate everyone who loved Rogue Legacy by suddenly making it, let's say, a card game. Like Rogue Legacy 2 suddenly being a card game, but you want to take enough risks where people don't feel immediately too familiar with it is there a balance in your head with like what's too risky for a rogue legacy 2 would you want to make sure it had a similar look and genre well we already know if we were to make it okay. i'm not saying we are but if we were to make it uh yeah we already know where we're going and a lot of the things would be retained in terms of like the procedurally generated castle um but uh Sorry, it's hard to say without actually giving away what we work on. <laughs> no, no, I don't want you to do that. Of course, I'm not trying. I tr- I'm not trying to get you with any gotcha questions. I promise. So but, we could uh, say we, we could say it, it would be different but similar. It would definitely, yeah, it would be different but similar. Whether That's any of those things work out or whether we actually implement them, because like I said, we throw stuff out all the time, right? Yes, yeah. is another question. But I think we would keep most of what we had planned. Yeah, I think that's probably the smart way to do it. But again, just like a difficult balance to actually reach. Um, when you were in the marketing process, and I guess you technically still are in the marketing and promotion process of Full Metal Furies because more than ever these days, once they're out, that's not the end of it. There's a lot of just the 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 legs yeah. it has over the course of the actual game being out where suddenly it could be even more popular down the road than it was at launch. But when you have been doing that stuff and figuring out how to get it in front of people, did you feel like you needed at points to lean on the, we're the Rogue Legacy people? Is that something that you wanted to do? Is that something you take pride in saying, like, from the creators of Rogue Legacy? Or did you would you prefer to go a different route when you're trying to sell this game to people? You know, we uh, we tried to avoid that in the beginning. Like, we wouldn't say, like, from the creators of Don't Shit Your Pants when we were making Flash <laughs> games. And, uh, I would put that on my resume. I would <laughs> hang that on my fridge. I'd put that everywhere. Yeah, so, like... um. Uh, so Flash Games has a site called the FGL. This is where you like bid, mm. like you put your games up and people would bid for it to 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 host on their site. And we were so adamant on like I don't know I don't know why we did this. We were like yeah we're our own team and we want to to stay that way. And then um, one of the games we made which was really popular, a guy commented and he was like holy smokes, these guys made like don't shit your pants and they also made like I have one day in this other game and they're all my favorite game and I didn't know it was all made by the same team. And then at that point, we're like, wait, why are we being so stupid? (laughs) (laughs) We're we're constantly, like, I don't know, we're constantly cutting ourselves in the legs. Well, uh, to be honest, when I first saw Full Metal Fury, I didn't know it was from the Rogue Legacy people. At the start, I was like, this looks cool. And then I actually looked into it. I'm like, oh, that's why it looks really cool, because I love Rogue Legacy. Ah, we should advertise harder. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to bring you down. That wasn't my intent there. No, no, no. It's good. It's good. Now Now we know. We'll just have it in the bottom right. You times. should at all times. There's just yeah. like a watermark essentially being like, did you check Rogue Legacy out? That shit's the bomb. Just put yeah. that in the corner. <laughs> oh, Please hire idea. me as your marketing person. We're okay. just going to put every single game we've made until when you watch our trailer, it's just like a small video in the top right <laughs> corner. <laughs> all right, maybe I don't have the best marketing advice in the world. Don't entirely listen to me. Just take like random nuggets that might actually work. Uh, you did mention difficulty before, and that's something that really interests me in your games because it does have this curve to it. But there were moments where I wanted to throw my controller like through my patio door, but it wasn't because I felt like the game was unfair. It's because there was that correct level of difficulty. I know it's different for every game, and it's not a really easy thing to put into words, but how do you make a game that 
is difficult but doesn't push people away is that a lot about just the idea of this needs to be fair and not like the game is breaking its own rules when you die yeah um so i i'm a big fan of difficult i like i put way too much like uh thought into difficulties but for our games our games specifically one thing that i like a lot is that you anything you do you should be able to beat it without getting hit um i would like to try to make a game where you can't that isn't the case Right, like people have already done uh, no hit runs on Rogue. People have done no hit runs on FMF already, which is pretty insane. Uh, single player only, of course. But um, uh, for me, or for our game specifically, uh, I like our our game to be difficult in the sense that you have to learn the systems. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Yeah, because like uh, a lot of games, I'm not gonna name any, and they're these are totally fine as like difficulty alternatives. You're kind of um. You're not learning the system so much as you're learning like the tells. Yes. And then it just becomes a game of he does this, I do this. But like so, like in but in Rogue, uh, in in FMF, right? Like a uh, uh, an enemy will point like there's an enemy sniper who's invisible and he'll shoot a laser at you, right? But as a character, you never always have all the tools at hand. Yes. Right. So you're always having to make informed decisions about what you can do, and that. And this goes back into difficulty in the sense that uh, I like to, like, when I think of a game, I think of it on, like, a graph or on, on a line where on the left side it's puzzles and on the right side it's action. Mm-hmm. And for our, our games specifically, like, uh, we have really long tells for enemies. I think they, they're usually around 0.7 to 1.0 seconds, which is, like, a really long time for you to think about what to do. Yeah. Because that lets us have enemies in situations uh which are you know visually extremely difficult but you actually have a lot of time to process and make a decision whereas other games they might go this enemy's attack happens in a 0.15 second window so really all you're doing is reacting whereas we always want you to be um kind of improv improvising so i think that's why i personally think that that's why our game is accessible even though it feels really difficult because in order to get good at the game, you really have to start understanding all of your character's limits and all of your character's like potential and all the enemy's potential limits. Almost than- like a fighting game in a certain sense, I guess. For like when I um, would play a fighting game, once you kn- you know your own character really really well and you do get better, but actually learning the tells of the other characters sets you up in a much smarter way. And I would just like you mentioned some games. You just kind of have to learn certain situations rather than the actual mechanics. Like if you think of a stealth game, you start yeah. understanding this person's here and they're turning around at this point, or this is this person's pattern. So instead of learning how to get better at stealth, you learn better how to overcome a certain level because you yeah. just keep banging your head against it. And I, what I really liked about Full Metal Furious was I there's especially there's that area where you're going down, down, down this like chained elevator might be the wrong term but kind oh, of like yeah. an elevator and i was uh under leveled i felt like i was under at that point but i wanted to keep going and i was like i think i could do this and after a while even though i was probably not strong enough or not where i should have been in that area i was able to overcome it because i understood the mechanics i understood not the patterns but the way the enemies tells and when to hit when not when to move away like it, it was cool in that way where i kept getting better and better and i felt Good, even though I died like a billion times, I felt really good by the end of it. Of like, I feel like now moving forward, I'm going to be much more prepared for all of these situations. Is it even harder when you have this? I know we've talked about multiplayer networking a lot. I played 
the entire i think the entire game solo so for people who don't know you have two characters you're flipping back and forth between how do you balance difficulty when there might be multiple people on screen at once is that how do you balance it so that the person who's playing solo like me feels like they're having just as much fun as these groups of friends and also maintain that challenge thanks for asking that question <laughs> so we actually this was like massive so one thing we like every time we make anything we always go what 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 do we don't like about not the genre but just mechanics right because that's what really matters and a lot of um a lot of multiplayer games i i won't name out names because it's just rude i think we should start calling people out what's the worst thing (laughs) i get i get but um (laughs) they'll just do like uh um we actually wrote like a mini blog post but a lot of them what's popular right now is the uh static which is like in mobas if you Mm. have four players and you're fighting five players uh nothing happens. The four players are going to lose, right? Yeah. Uh, which is fine in those type of games because it's PvP. But then you've got other games where it's like, oh, this is horde mode. But honestly, unless you're playing with four people, you're not going to get anywhere near close to the end, right? Yes. And, and those type of situations. Um, and then you've got other games which they do scaling, but it's always extremely like basic in the sense like oh this enemy gets 50 percent more hp sorry i'm running into that with monster hunter right now where suddenly i put out an sos flare and i'm like okay let's kill this monster but then suddenly it goes way more powerful the more people that pile on so it's like i enjoy the cooperative nature of it but i don't want to keep banging my head against something that's suddenly 75 percent stronger yeah yeah and there's always this fine line where it crosses where all of a sudden like it's easiest with this number of people and not easiest with this number of people or whatever because they always have to balance to a number um so for us, we implemented, like, in the engine itself, uh, this uh, kind of, like, uh, scaling system. But not even it's not even a system because there's hundreds and hundreds of variables in the game, right? So if you play with, like, one player, and this is how, if you were to imagine, like, the graph of difficulty, because this is how we designed it, it's really hard with one player, and then it gets easier with two, three, and four. Because we're always, we believe that if you're playing single player, you're in there for the mechanical difficulty. You're there to to kind of like min max the potential of character swapping. But then when you go to two, three, four, the difficulty comes in communication. So we actually like lower the actual, like the aggressiveness and everything oh, of the enemies. That's smart. Yeah, because yeah. like so, you know exactly what you're doing when you're by yourself, but you need to constantly be talking to set things up when you're with other people. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. So that's how it, so we built this system and it changes hundreds of variables. So there's literally hundreds of variables that are getting changed if you play with two, three, or four. And to, because this game is also special or unique in the sense that you're like locked to a screen, that's not unique, but you know, this is a kind of a single screen type game. Uh, you can't just increase enemy HP or else everybody's just punching on a dude until he dies and it's annoying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can't flood the screen with enemies because then it becomes incomprehensible. It, it, it does definitely get there at like four players because I have a lot of players Uh, but it's a lot of fun I like four players a lot Uh, so we had to create this system and we had to create this like overlying like AI rule set which is saying it's like a dungeon master right it's like this dynamic dungeon master who goes too many enemies are on screen right now slow everything down oh we can uh, more uh, less enemies are on there's too many players and everything and it's constantly like adding it yeah. And uh, we were, like, super proud of it, but nobody notices. <laughs> like, people, like, we got messages of people saying, like, oh, I played with my four, like, you know, four friends, and it was, it was a great blast, and I played with three people, and it was a great blast, and, like, that's, 
awesome. Like that was really like we were super happy about it. And we wrote in like when we were sending out the keys to people, right? We we're like, oh, we have this dynamic multiplayer thing, or you know, all of the stuff is happening. We hope you enjoy it. But no, no critics gonna play the game and go. No, I played it three players to see how it worked out. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. it's it's a weird, it's like a, a tough measure to do. That should happen. Like you should definitely, if you, I am not a reviewer anymore. But for people who are, you should play something like that. Like at least, like okay, I need one other person and probably just see what four players is like. And even though my dumb non-developer brain doesn't understand how you even pull something like that off with like that adjusted difficulty, I think you explained it well. But it, it's weird. As soon as I was playing it, that was my first thought of like, man, how do you even? tackle something like this where I, I you get into a very specific it i would assume it's almost two different games co-op versus single because there's a very specific flow you get by yourself where you mentioned the puzzles in the game the, and the balance of puzzles and combat but the combat itself is its own puzzle where you're trying to time everything perfectly and you wait for these specific cooldowns to end and you just you do so many different things you become you need to almost have every aspect of it be second nature and when you do have multiple people like you said, you're trusting someone else to pull off things that maybe you would do by yourself normally. That I would just assume, again, when you were going through this entire development process, these are things that you maybe thought about and were like, oh, we could totally overcome that. But when you're actually in the, we need to implement this, it had to be a crazy no. a, a crazy task that you never expected to be it, this hard. It was, it was crazy. It was definitely more work than, than we expected. And, and like one thing that we don't, tell anybody <laughs> is that like we're we don't have we're, we're all external right and we didn't have networking until the end so yeah. all of this we could only do so many play tests um like with multiple people and the way you know the way any game development works you can't use the same people to play test right they're yeah. kind of a wash so we only only know so many people so we only had very few chances at balancing the game and every single like most games if you do a pass like you get people to play it and then you do a pass of the numbers mm -hmm. you're kind of soft and gentle we just like ripped all the numbers up I'm like okay we know what's the problem now. let's just rehaul <laughs> everything and i think we rehauled like the entire system like three times out of the four chances we got oh, god <laughs> so yeah it's it's uh it's pretty so good. launch had to be terrifying because you're just like oh my god are we gonna have to I assume at that point it's probably a little bit too late to overhaul things, but was there a moment of like, what if we have to overhaul things again once this actually gets live? Oh, yeah. Well, the biggest fear, I think, was four players because yeah. one one player, yeah, like a trillion hours. I could do that myself. Two players, we had like, that was a lot pretty easy to get. I think we had like six total play tests of the game fully with six players, but yeah. four players, we only had one, and that was like two years old. <laughs> so oh my god yeah it was all like we have all these systems and it was all i wouldn't say they're educated guesses but they're still guesses right but um yeah it, it worked out we actually oh, sorry i forgot we had one play test at four players but in that play test two of the people had beaten the game and two people didn't oh so that does make it hard yeah it went fine right it actually went um easy mm -hmm. and then we we're like just as a safety we're going to make it a little easier because the two people, because in this game, we wanted people to carry, right? Like that's so. Yeah. So we knew that those two people were carrying the game pretty significantly. So we just wanted to make sure like it all worked out. And, I mean, when we talked the first time in, in, in the first podcast that does not exist anymore because my computer exploded, um, you had said that 
sales, at least initially, were a little bit lower than maybe some expectations for you and your team. And since then, I mean, these games do have longer tails than any other games before. People with sales and just with word of mouth, these games can suddenly really hit it with people. For you right now, now that the game is out and you've put in a lot of work to tweak things once it went live, do you have a strategy for how you want to get this out to people and really see some momentum to start building up with it? Because I assume for you, you're a developer who doesn't have this deep years long experience in how to market 101 with games and again a lot of this stuff you just don't know until it's out there and there's not this perfect handbook so do you kind of have a strategy moving forward for what you want to do with the game um yeah i mean yeah you're right we don't we don't have any marketing we do all the marketing ourselves <laughs> obviously it didn't work <laughs> but um yeah we, we do have a plan one we can't talk about i think because it's uh just locked under ndas and stuff okay um I keep almost getting you in trouble, like almost saying things where it's like, oh, we broke that. But uh, fingers crossed that it it does well. But um, the main one that we're doing right now is we're implementing the lobby system. And Mm -hmm. uh, once once a lobby system's done, it's going to be our first launch. Like our first, not launch, our first sale, I guess. So we're hoping that the lobby system plus the sale and everything will help get get the traction that it, that we're, we're hoping that it, uh, We'll give it the the tail that it needs. I've talked to a lot of people who they're back and forth in terms of when do we put something on sale? How much of a sale is is necessary? Because when you put that much time and effort into a game and the, and you have that big of a budget, when you suddenly cut a game in half in terms of the price, you're like, oh, that hurts. Like that's that's really low for what this thing is. How do you determine when to put something on sale and how much? to actually cut off the price and this could apply to you know full metal fairies or also just with rogue legacy um that's just a, a decision on how much pain you're willing to take because <laughs> does yeah. like, nobody i don't think anybody's ever happy when they put their game on sale especially the first time and for fmf we're like yeah we don't want to it hurts <laughs> it hurts but yeah, yeah. because especially because like oh we're going to put in like you know an extra two months of work into this and then in order to put it on sale right so it's like a double whammy for us but yeah you know it's it's fine it's it's it's, it's the market and uh it, it's tough because you go to all these talks with steam and stuff and they're always like oh yeah just put your game on sale trust us trust us but uh there's a bit of like a, a hit to your dignity yeah when it comes to these kind of things also once you put it let's say you do 50 percent off i would assume as soon as it goes back to regular price everyone's like why would i pay that much i know this game in my brain is now worth i don't know 15 dollars or something like that or 10 dollars, and that's i would assume that has to be a weird thing for you and also uh correct me if i'm wrong was did rogue legacy ever go on playstation plus free or was it just discounted it went on playstation plus free but that was uh a really weird situation. <laughs> I'm guessing that is another area that we can't take too much into. Yeah, yeah, that was like we were we were very happy with it, but um, it was really weird. Uh, the person that we had talked to, like the person who I guess was our like our, our point of contact with Shahid, uh, he's amazing. This he's just this amazing guy, Shahid Kamal, and he left to make his own company. So then we were you know, toss, not toss, but we were sent to other people and then there's like this miscommunication and everything and we ended up on PlayStation Plus uh, in really weird circumstances that I can't really 
<laughs> yeah, I will, again, I will not have you break it, almost break a third NDA um, on this podcast. I, yeah, I would assume that it, it's, again, speaking of just the the cutting a price down for a game and suddenly being like, oh, that's a hit to my ego. I would just assume when a game is not free, because people do have to be subscribers. But once a game goes on PlayStation Plus, like Rocket League, for example, I, I was like, I can never think of that game as anything other than that is the free game I got on PlayStation Plus, which kind of changes the nature of that. But I guess maybe in a weird way, was that also kind of the ultimate marketing tool? Because now it feels like everyone who owns a PlayStation knows what Rogue Legacy is. Yeah, I don't know. It's so hard to say. It's because the problem is we don't have analytics. We don't have... We- we only found out that you could track like how many people clicked on your Twitter link like a month ago. Like, oh, hey, nobody's clicking on our stuff. What are we doing wrong? So yeah, um, it's uh, it's tough, especially if you. The hardest part is that, um, at least for us, is that it's so not something that we're interested in. Not saying yeah. that it's like a useless talent. I think it's extremely important. But if you're you don't like if you just can't garner the interest, it just makes it that much harder to actually find out what is actually worth it you yeah know what i mean like no totally not, yeah so but maybe putting in a playstation plus was by far like the best thing we've ever done in our lives right yeah about. it's I, I wish there was actually more data and more maybe articles out there from people who have had success with it because with a rocket league there is the the microtransactions aspect of it so maybe when you get that game in front of 20 million people yes you don't get that money for each game sold but now you have 20 million people who might potentially do microtransactions but otherwise i i don't know if that is successful, I've talked, I've tried to talk to a lot of people who, of course, like you, cannot discuss this type of stuff. And I totally understand it and respect it. Uh, Lauren Lanning, I think they had an Odd World game that was on PlayStation Plus 2. And I want to know, like, what does that do for you? Because I just, I've always wondered, like, what's the, what's the benefit for the developer? It's obvious what the benefit is for someone like Microsoft or Sony who does something like that. But it's just a weird process that, you know, hopefully, again, hopefully it's positive. I just have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea either. (laughs) As someone who's had a game on there, it probably worked. It was probably great. I mean, I got to play. If it helps, I purchased the game beforehand. So it was not free to me. It was worth it. It was all (laughs) worth it. Uh, So you did, to wrap things up a bit, you did mention you do have these plans for kind of this next wave of marketing and the lobby system, everything like that. But for people who are playing the game right now, who who are interested in the game now that they've heard this or now that they've seen all of your very engaging Twitter posts, uh, what can they expect moving forward for the rest of the year from the game after you do get the lobby system in and and you start uh, tweaking the game a little bit more? Are you going to be supporting the game for the rest of the year? Are there plans for additional content moving forward? Uh, There were plans. Like, we we had plans. There's a lot of stuff that we we wanted to do. Even, like, this was by far the the least cuts uh, we've ever made in a game. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, it's also, like, our biggest game, so it still has, like, the most cuts, probably. Uh, um, So we... Still a lot of things we wanted to do. This was the first game we actually wanted to do like DLC missions on. Oh man. In that sense. But um honestly it's like everything's kind of being put on hold for now. Um oh yeah, so actually a couple of things that were gonna be like completely free was uh we wanted to implement a procedurally gener- procedurally kind of generated arena for like okay. high content players who just oh, that'd want be a great to haunt to play stuff. Um we also wanted to implement a a fifth character, but that was going to probably be paid like a buck ninety nine or something. I don't know about that. And um, something else. Oh, we wanted to implement a uh, fury mode, which is something I wanted because 
this game had so many cuts to the difficulty. It's like <laughs> the game was so much harder. Uh, in the original pass, where I nerfed the difficulty by about twenty percent across the board, um, the first person who played it, and she was like, she's really good at games, right? Like she beats Devil May Cry three and all of those games. Those are her favorite. Yeah, it took her forty hours. Oh my see. god! It was it was like insanely difficult, and so we're like, okay, let's nerf it, and then we're like, nerfed it, nerfed it, nerfed it, nerfed it like eighty times over, and one of the the fury mode difficulty was going to bring it back to what it originally was, which is a forty hour campaign. <laughs> so, as a difficulty purist, you're kind of like, man, I I want people to see what the hell this thing was before. Yeah, because there's there's exploits in the game now, which I hate. It drives me crazy. I don't like exploits in games, right? <laughs> but uh. When you you know when you keep toning down the difficulty, keep lowering the numbers, exploits start to appear, and I don't I don't publicly say them, right? But they exist. Oh, now I want to know. You should let these out. No. I don't know there's exploits in this. No exploits. No exploits. One person already found it. it was, it's with Triss. She can do this like really fast attack rate, but uh, yeah, we'll keep that for now. Do you have a favorite? Okay, if you're playing this game solo, this is the last thing I promise. Um, do you have a duo that's your favorite? Like what you found to be the most effective, or are you constantly experimenting yourself? It's hard. So really early on, because this is important because I do so much playtesting just like when I'm building a level, um, my brother implemented a randomizer. So I'll start the game with two different characters every time to ensure like every class works out. Yeah. Right? Um, but personally, um, the I think my favorite, like the one that I have enjoyed, most enjoyment is the sniper and fighter. That's the combo i've used almost the entire game oh, so yeah, you basically what you're saying is i'm a developer <laughs> and i know what i'm doing thank you yeah you know exactly what you're doing <laughs> they're, no, they're just a, they're just a lot of fun and they clear fastest i, I think I, that's what i felt too yeah again your game is balanced I, I, all of them have worked for me but that was the two where i'm like i just feel the most comfortable with this and you do have like that range and like both ranges that you want and boy i love the sniper my god oh. that is my that is my if there was only a one character option i would just do sniper all the time yeah sniper's my favorite too sniper's so also, good um it, like the default combo of uh, the fighter doing your four hit combo switching to the sniper and then you can shoot in an air crit with their empowered shot for yep. the triple air crit more or less wipes everything in one go it's so good oh my god and again these are all things that like early on i was like man this game's hard and then you realize not an exploit but you realize the combos like that and you're like oh wow and it, it feels so earned all of it feels like man I, I discovered this cool thing and now i can take this knowledge not just a better piece of equipment or anything like that i can take the knowledge i just learned and actually just be better at this game moving forward uh Teddy, this game, Full Metal Fury is just very cool. And I'm just going to say that out loud now. It's, it's not just because <laughs> it's not just because you're on the podcast or I'm trying. You're not paying me to promote. No, that'd be a waste of money. That you know, I wouldn't go that route. As your new person who promotes all your games, let's not go that route. But like, honestly, it's, it's one of my favorite games so far this year. I know it's only February, but oh, it's, it's one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. I love the, the progression in it. Um, I'm still digging into a lot of the post-credits content that I want to see all of. I'm still too dumb for the puzzles, but I'm going to keep trying to, I don't know, read books, get smarter, and be able to do that. But I really do wish you all the best with it because this game deserves to be played by a lot of people, and people who love Rogue Legacy should play this. Um, so I can't wait to see what you guys do with it. I can't wait to see kind of the marketing moving forward. Uh, and in general, I, I feel confident to say, like, I can't wait to see how well it does. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's really nice. I hope it sells a trillion copies. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is the first step to selling a trillion copies. See, awesome. this is, it's all going to work out. This will be, yeah. I'll, I'll expect kickbacks moving forward and right. yeah. it'll be great. Uh, I, hopefully we can talk again 
closer to the end of the year once kind of everything has panned out with it and we can kind of do a post-mortem of like here's what went perfectly since we talked and here's what didn't because i do appreciate i appreciate the honesty too about like the development because a lot of times people are very oh well we had to do this we had to do this and we did everything right and i appreciate you being like ah we fucked this part up this part was good messed up here like i I think that's that is development the more i talk to developers i realize like that's just how it works oh yeah we fuck everything up yeah (laughs) that's that's the name of this episode <laughs> i think people should be grateful everything. that something's working <laughs> yeah, ex- that's uh, i'm shocked a video game ever comes out and is functional so uh i could promise your game is more than functional that's my that's the back of the box quote you can have yes thank topic. you we're gonna post that <laughs> so thanks again uh thank you everyone for listening hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099